From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. We're broadcasting live from the site of the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021 here in Washington, D.C. Family Research Council is one of the convening sponsors, and we'll be hearing from some of today's speakers, like uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who gave a stirring message on how we must protect religious freedom here at home so that we can advocate for it abroad. He joins me a little later. Grace Gao escaped from China after her father, a Christian human rights attorney, was arrested for his work on behalf of religious minorities. Grace is now speaking out on behalf of the victims whose voices have been silenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Grace will be here to share her family's powerful story of conviction and courage. And our good friend Dr. David Curry with Open Doors USA is calling upon the Biden administration to immediately convene an international fact-finding commission to investigate the acts of violence and other human rights violations against religious minorities in India. He joins us later with more details. But first, Republican leader Mitch McConnell took to the Senate floor earlier today and said this. This week, Democrats on the House Appropriations Committee are doing something so radical that it hasn't been done for decades. What is it that they're doing? Well, Maryland Congressman Andy Harris, who is actually in the House Appropriations Committee as we speak, will be joining us to answer that question in just a moment. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me again encourage you to download our app. That way you can not only listen to Washington Watch, no matter where you are in the country, but you can also get our action alerts, which we're going to be talking about here in just a moment. I've got some action items for you, something you need to take action for. Our republic was made for participants, not spectators. But go ahead and download the Stand Firm app. It's in the App Store. Stand Firm. All right. The Hyde Amendment has saved, saved over 2.4 million lives since 1976. Now, it used to be a non-controversial, bipartisan issue. According to the Los Angeles Times, quote, as a senator, Biden was a longtime supporter of the Hyde Amendment and cited his Catholic faith as one reason he backed it, end quote. Well, like many things today, the times are changing and President Biden is no longer in favor of protecting this measure that prohibits taxpayers from being forced into a partnership with Planned Parenthood. And I want to go back to the Republican leader in the Senate who spoke to this issue earlier today. Play, play uh, clip two of uh, Senate Leader McConnell. This week, Democrats on the House Appropriations Committee are doing something so radical that it hasn't been done for decades. They are advancing an annual funding bill that leaves out the Hyde Amendment, the common sense prohibition on forcing taxpayers to fund abortion. Since the 1970s, abortion has claimed the lives of more than 60 million unborn children. But at the very, very least, the mainstream bipartisan Hyde Amendment has ensured that taxpayers' hard-earned money is not funneled into this brutal practice. In today's Democratic Party, there is no room to dissent from the far left's culture war. Even in the most modest, most longstanding, most widely popular ways. Senate Republicans are going to continue standing up for life, standing up for taxpayers, 
and standing up for the conscience rights of millions, millions of Americans who don't want the government laundering their hard-earned money to abortion providers. Well, as I said, for the first time since 1973, that is changing in the House. The House Appropriations passing the measure today without the Hyde protections. Joining me from the Appropriations Committee, Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland, who was a part of a five-hour debate to try and put the Hyde language back into the Labor Appropriations Bill. Congressman Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, good to be with you, Tony. So the debate was pretty intense, five hours worth of debate. Uh, I think all but two Republican members of the committee uh, argued in favor of returning this long-standing bipartisan language to the appropriations bill. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, we did have one Democrat join with us. So we had bipartisan uh, support for restoring the language. Uh, it's an important protection uh, for not only for taxpayer dollars, but the unborn. And furthermore, we need to restore the Weldon Amendment, which, of course, is a freedom of the conscience amendment. Yeah, that's a, actually another important point. It's been there since the 90s. And as a doctor, you chair the doctor's, uh, your co-chair co the doctor's caucus. You understand what that means. Explain the Weldon Amendment. And, and let me step back a minute. Let's go into a little more detail on what the Hyde men, Amendment does and does not do. What's that, Tony? It, it, explain for our listeners what the Weldon Amendment does. I mean, we use a lot of these terms, but not everybody understands exactly sure. what they do. So explain that as a physician. is very important to you and other medical uh, practitioners out across the country. That's right. So, so it basically means that the uh, government can't force you to, uh, the federal government using funds can't force you to, uh, commit, uh, to participate in an abortion against your uh, religious beliefs or against your conscience. I mean, that's a very important protection, a very basic protection. I'm shocked that the uh, Democrat majority on the committee will not, uh, you know, will not go with that. So they, they want to force medical workers to to engage in and be a part of an abortion, even though they have a, a religious or moral opposition to that? That's right, yeah. This is kind of hard to fathom, that we're at a place where we cannot even agree that those that have, again, religious convictions, moral opposition to something, that they can't just step aside. I mean, I think ultimately what this is going to do, Dr. Harris, is this is going to force, and I think this might be the intention, of forcing uh, pro-life Americans out of the field of medicine. I think we lost uh, Dr. Harris there. I think the the effect of Tony, this, this is, will be. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, this hear? is so unconscionable. This is something that we just can't, uh, we, we have to restore this Weldon protection. Yeah, on, on the Hyde Amendment, I know you're still in the committee there, and I do appreciate you uh, stepping out to, to, to join us because this is just unfolding as we speak. Is there a chance? Is there a chance that on the House floor that we could see this language restored? No, I think it's going to be up to the Senate. I think it's going to be to Mr. McConnell to make sure that this uh, this uh, is restored in the final bill, uh, you know, which the president would have to sign. 
I, I'm pretty encouraged uh, by the comments of the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, who uh, took to the floor. This is the second time he's spoken about Hyde and abortion on the Senate floor. And for the Senate leadership in the Senate to speak to this would suggest to oh. me that he oh, is uh, rallying the Republican senators to to oppose any measure that would go forward without these types of protections. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the, we're, the whole bill is being held hostage. And, Tony, there's so many things in this health bill that need to be done. Uh, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us that we are in a dangerous world. We have enemies who will probably produce bioweapons against us. We need defense against it. Those defenses are in this bill, and the Democrats have chosen to, to play politics with a bill that really threatens the, the livelihood, not only the life, not only of the unborn, but the, but the life, lives of hundreds of millions of Americans. Have we reached this point in our um, in our country where there is no longer even agreement on something that has been, as, as we said, so bipartisan in terms of its uh, its support that we can't even agree, we can't force people to do something they're opposed to? Well, Tony, you know, you know, the, the saving grace is that the ma majority of Americans, a clear majority of Americans, agree that we should not use taxpayer dollars to fund abortion. So Americans are with us on this. The fact of the matter is, is that the uh, uh, Washington, D.C., especially the Democrats, are radicalized, uh, especially on the issue of abortion. How radical a position it is to not only force, uh, not only force uh, taxpayer funding, the uh, fact taxpayer dollars to use to fund abortion. We just took a vote now uh, to force taxpayer dollars to fund abortions for prisoners in federal prisons. Uh, again, it's gone way too far. Well, Dr. Harris, I appreciate you uh, joining us, stepping out of the committee to uh, to give us an update. What's the uh, the sense of the timing for a House vote on this? Well, in the next two weeks, we expect this to come to the House floor in the next two weeks. Uh, we suspect that, again, uh, you know, we'll vote on the entire bill. I don't think they'll allow a, a separate vote on the House floor on this. But if they do, I suspect that, it, that the bipartisan support will actually be to restore the Weldon and Hyde protections. Uh, because there are a few Democrats who, who realize that, uh, th this, th that the American people are with us on this, a majority say, and some who feel that abortion should be legal, not like me, but some who feel abortion should be legal, feel that it's not right to force uh, taxpayer dollars to be used to pay for it. Right, right. I, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's basically six out of ten Americans think that taxpayers should not be forced uh, to fund abortion. Dr. Andy Harris, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for taking time to, to join us today. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, you know, Dr. Andy Harris, a member, uh, co-chair of the the uh, Doctors Caucus in the House, just stepping out of the House Appropriations Committee, uh, where today, for the first time since 1976, when this uh, Hyde Amendment was adopted, first time that we've seen a uh, a labor appropriations bill um, move forward without. Uh, these protections for taxpayers. And so we're talking about, you know, uh, nearly six out of every 10 Americans are opposed to uh, being forced to fund abortion, as Dr. Harris made reference to. Some people may support abortion, abortion rights, whatever you want to call it, but they, they agree that Americans who have moral opposition to this should not be forced to uh, to engage in it or fund it, and, and this is a significant moment. 
And we've reached a point in our political dialogue and our policies that we cannot give one another space not to be forced in, into engaging in something they find morally, spiritually, some cases, reprehensible. But, you know, this has been building. This is where the Democratic Party is going. We've seen this with the florist and the bakers who have simply, you know, not wanted to be a part of same-sex weddings. And this is where we see the left walking in, walking in lockstep together. There can be no tolerance for them, no, no, no room for other differing opinions. And the, the, the frightening thing about this is that they want to force. It's not, you know, we always heard this, you know, this live and let live. It's not live and let live. It's forced engagement, participation, affirmation. I would encourage you to take action on this. This is one of those action items. You can go to frc.org slash save hide. That's save hide, S-A-V-E-H-Y-D-E, H-Y-D-E, save hide, and contact your congressman. Now, as uh, Congressman Harris said, it's probably going to pass the House because Nancy Pelosi has the majority. But there are some Democratic members who are in districts that are, uh, you know, pro-life and uh, con marginally conservative. And it'll be painful for them. This could set up a change in the next election of the control of the House. And that's ultimately what's going to have to happen. We're seeing elections have consequences. And so we need to be involved and be engaged. So go to frc.org slash save hide or go to tonyperkins.com. And we have links there. All right, coming up next, Open Doors USA has called upon the Biden administration to investigate what is happening in India. We talk about it next. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life legislation. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Why do I have to give to God? He is everything anyway. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Parents, teach your children that God has only one need, and that is our obedience and our love. He wants to always give Him our best. We give to God because of our love for Him. Your tithes go to help your church reach out with the love of Christ, but it isn't only about the money. It's also about being a good steward of our time and talents. If you haven't been consistent in your giving of your time, talents, and tithe to God, then you haven't totally trusted Him. 
Use your wallet to see what God can do and give Him your time and your talents also. You will be amazed at what you will see happen. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved <laughs> me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. According to new research from the London School of Economics and Political Science, Christians and Muslims living in India are facing imminent existential threat. And Open Doors USA is calling on the Biden administration and the international community to hold India's government accountable for the violence and discrimination against religious minorities. Joining me now to talk more about this is Dr. David Curry. He is the president and CEO of Open Doors USA. David, good to see you again. Nice to be with you again. So uh, I saw uh, earlier this month, this is I think a week before last, uh, you called on the Biden administration to uh, uh, look at this. I mean, I saw your statement and uh, you, you seem alarmed at what's happening. Well, there. I am alarmed. Since 2014, we've seen a 300% rise in incidents of discrimination and persecution in India. We, we've known this has been happening. You'd think that the Modi administration in India would take the right steps. They're not. They seem to be going in the wrong yeah, direction. Yeah. And we, we really need this administration to be firm on this. I understand there are all kinds of geopolitical balance right, issues, right, right. but we've got to have some, some moral courage on this. Let, let's talk, David, uh, about some of the specifics because U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, to put on my other hat, uh, made the recommendation last year that uh, India be identified as a C CPC, a country of particular concern, for these very things that you've been talking about, this uh, egregious... Um, uh, ongoing systematic um, persecution of religious minorities, sometimes at the hands of government. But you point out uh, in your uh, this study that you did that it, it, sometimes it is the government, but oftentimes it's they're just turning away and allowing it to happen, which still makes them responsible. Right. The study, which was done with Open Doors in, in coordination with the London School of Economics, goes in depth. People can see it online at our website opendoorsusa.org but it talks about the levels of harassment how the judiciary the law enforcement within india is fearful of uh supporting these people who've been attacked because of these of this mob violence which is being propped up by the bjp party uh prime minister modi so it's a real nasty little web of 
of mob violence, social media harassment, uh, attacks on homes, over almost uh, 300 homes, not quite 300 homes of Christians this year, churches, and, and it just goes on and on and on. And it's trending how? It's trending up, and it's trending up because all of the factors that are in there, the mob violence, the political support, the fear among local um, jurisdictions of police, because there's more of the mob than there are these police officers or they are politically aligned with them. All of those things are still in place. We need to, to have the administration in India, Prime Minister Modi, his people at the state levels, to understand that there are repercussions on the international level that we have to un we have to have some sense that there's some shared values here. There are other shared values, and culturally, obviously, we love India and love the people. Right. But this right, can't right, go right. on. Well, we we had a discussion earlier today here at the uh, International Religious Freedom Summit on uh, religious nationalism, and India was an example of that. Yeah, it, it's nationalism driven by their, their political agenda. I would love to see, for example, some of the Indian American executives at Pepsi, at Google, at Microsoft, who, who could be a loud voice on this, speak out. And we've addressed this with many of them. They're fearful to do it because of, it's not good for business. But again, sometimes the, the moral good is, is of a higher order, and we need people to understand this is that moment. The London School of Economics doesn't have a horse in this race. They're not saying this for religious reasons. It's they not just, just the, open they just, doors. Right. They're just saying this isn't good for the world economy. It's not good for India. It's certainly not good for the human beings that have to live under this regime. Uh, d does that, um, the strong arming from those in the Hindu nationalism movement, does that extend beyond the borders of India? Well, I think that there's a pressure. Some of the Indian Americans I've talked to are, you know, fearful as to what would happen to their friends, relatives uh, that are still back in India. But I think right now it's just, it's just a, an environment where the message you're not truly an Indian citizen unless you're Hindu, has, has become toxic. So, Dr. Curry, I'll ask you this question because this is something some of our listeners may be. I mean, we've got so many issues we're dealing with. Why, do, why is this an important issue? Well, this is an important issue because it's a, a, the world's largest democracy. We want to see that strengthened right now. Prime Minister Modi is undermining that, not just with the religious liberty issues, but with uh, how people are sharing things on online, if they're able to share things online, all the sorts of things that we see shadows of here, censorship, deplatforming, which uh, organizations like yours and mine are, are greatly at threat for. Mm -hmm. That's all happening right now. And if we don't stop it, you could see a, a major erosion in the world's largest democracy and leave a vacuum in that part of the world that would have repercussions. But into, in the day in which we live, those things don't, they're not isolated. I mean, you can't have something happening in India and not affect other parts of the world. I mean, everything spreads today. Right. I think we've been slow uh, from, a, from a national point of view to address India because we hope that that democracy is going to be a counterbalance to China. But if right, the right, democracy right, right. erodes its fundamental principles, then, then we are in a major jeopardy. Well, it becomes a democracy in name only. Yeah, that's right. And that's what's happening right now in India. In the constitutional protections, all because these they, their constitution actually protects religion. It's very strong. 
And, but, and, and many of the countries in which we see this uh, intolerance toward religious minorities, they have it in their document. I mean, Turkey has a strong... North Korea has a freedom of religion yeah. in their constitution. It's a joke. <laughs> it really is. So it's got to be more than words. It's got to be backed up by protections for those people who are dis discriminated against. Okay, Dr. Curry, we're up, we're up against a break. I want to thank you for joining us, but quickly, do you think the Biden administration will respond? I, I question whether they will. I hope they will. They've said the right things on China and the Uyghurs, but to this point, we need to see some real action. How do Christians need to be responding to this whole issue of religious persecution? Well, many Christians pray for support missionaries in India. We need to be sharing this on social media. We need to be lifting it up and praying for these people. Boldness for the church. Yeah and yeah. be partners with them and support ministries like open doors usa because you guys do great work our family supports you uh, as one of our ministries and we're grateful for you and likewise for you all right dr david curry open doors usa again check out their website you can go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over but it is one of those ministries that has my seal of approval um you know, not that it needs it but uh I support them because of the work they do. They, they are not only tracking these things, but they're actually helping those on the ground in these countries. So uh, check them out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Go on to China next. When we return, don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. There's so much talk out there about supply of oil diminishing along with a dramatic downturn in the supply of nat gas. The downturn in the nat gas is going to be a huge, huge problem. The interesting part is we probably have more nat gas than any other country in the world. And I said about three years ago that our number one export was going to be nat gas. Unfortunately, we haven't moved quite fast enough. Apparently, China is buying every drip of natural gas they can get from the U.S. or anywhere else. And this is also putting a burden on other countries. So we're going to see Asian as a result of this. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell spoke. It was a lot about nothing. Same old thing. With the exception of Representative Collinsworth, he was excellent and one thing he said why in the world are we still doing 120 billion dollars a month in quantitative easing when it has zero impact on what we are trying to accomplish in the economy as a matter of fact representative collinsworth asked what exactly it has to do with creating employment and to keep inflation down jerome powell didn't answer it. He couldn't answer it. He just danced around it. So what a great uh, line of questioning. I appreciate that by Representative Collingsworth. Unfortunately, it's not going to get any legs in the state-run media, primarily because it can't. The Treasury Department needs the Fed to continue buying or we're in big trouble. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back 
to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you. Uh, if you can tell a difference in the sound, it's because we're broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit 2021 here in Washington, D.C. That wraps up tonight. Uh, it's been going on since uh, Tuesday, uh, being uh, led, as we heard yesterday, by uh, former ambassador under the Trump administration for religious freedom, Sam Brownback. Earlier today, the Family Research Council uh, hosted a lunch, and our focus was on China and how they are sanctioning those who speak out about religious freedom. Uh, I was obviously one of those, along with uh, Ambassador Brownback. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had Senator uh, Tom Cotton uh, from uh, Arkansas, and we had Josh Hawley, Senator from Missouri. But we also talk about those who have been working in the country that have been targeted. And uh, one of our guests this afternoon at lunch was uh, Grace uh, Gal, Grace's father, uh, who was uh, who is a, a Christian. He is a human rights attorney, and he took on cases that other lawyers shied away from. He defended, you know, non-Christians. And as, as I've talked about here on this program before, I think we need to advocate for religious freedom for all people. And this is exactly what he did for Falun Gong practitioners, uh, house church leaders who are Christians, uh, but others. And for this work, he became a target uh, of the Chinese government. And Grace has not heard from her father for four years. He went to prison on uh, multiple occasions, uh, but the last time they've not heard from him in four years. And Grace has become a courageous vocal advocate, not only for her father, but for others who are being uh, silenced and imprisoned in China. And she joins us uh, now. Grace, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tony. Uh, Grace, uh, share with our listeners uh, the, the, the story of your father and, mm -hmm. and what um, you shared earlier today and, and, mm -hmm. and what transpired and what, what why you are now speaking out all across this country. Right. I think, Tony, you just had a really good sum up introduction of uh, what my dad do. So, uh, yeah, I would say... My dad is a human rights lawyer. He would take on cases that um, no one is willing to do it. Um, I think we had this talk before. I asked him why. And then the answer he gave it to me was um, he wasn't a born believer of Christian. Um, he discovered Christianity throughout um, his work of defending others. So uh, he saw the torture, and he's experienced many tortures of himself because um, he's been prisoned up for 10 years. Um, and then he always say, through those tortures, it's what drawn him closer to his faith and to Christianity. So I would say um, we're all sister brothers. We, um, we will keep one another, always have hope. So, so Grace, is that what has given your family courage that your father, he was committed to something bigger than himself and it's mm -hmm. cost you and your family tremendously. Right. Uh, you shared about how the police came in when your father was detained and they actually were living in your house. Yes. So um, when I was th 13 years old, um, eight police, they were leaving our 2B apartment and then they do not allow us to go out, uh, which my young brother was only four year old at the time. Um, he was crying day and night. I remember my mom was knee down crying as well, begging for them to get her some formula milk. Um, and this kind of life we had for many months, um, 
they would feed us their leftovers. And sometimes if we don't obey, they would not give us their leftovers. So you were essentially prisoners in your own home. Yes, yes, for many, many months. And then um, after that, when my dad is back from the detention center, they finally allow us to, um, to go out. They finally allow me to go to school. And I remember the situation wouldn't change for me. Um, eight, seven police officers, they escorted me to school. They have a mini van for me. Um, they took uh, the, the girl's bathroom door and then they even took the individual door so that uh, when I'm using the bathroom, um, three or four of them would line up and then another three or four of them would uh, wait at the exit of the toilet. I mean, how did they do, I mean, the, you were not the only family that's experienced this. I, I don't think so. I think there are many families experiencing the same thing. Your last conversation with your father? Was four years ago. Um, he, well, it's funny, um, no matter how many times we talk, I always ask him, when are you ready to come home via dad? Um, he would always give me excuses. And um, for the last time, he uh, really kind of showed me um, what God has showed him, the dream. Um, it says there is a little girl who would borrow his only weapon, a pen. Um, and then when day it's, uh, when the sun is rising, he, she would return the pen and then it would be a different, uh, China would be different, or the whole world would be different. That's something that my dad showed me. And then uh, the next day, basically the next day, he went to disappear. Grace, we're up against a break, but I, I want to ask you another question. So if you can just uh, kind of sit tight, because um, I, I think you're, the courage that you display and the conviction you have, not only speaking out for your father, but for others, frankly should challenge every American to be bold, uh, every Christian American to be bold in our faith, because yes. I want to talk to you about that, because what we do here has implications for what people in China and elsewhere experience. So folks, stick with me. We're also going to be hearing from uh, Dr. Andrew Brunson coming up here on Washington Watch. So don't go away. We're coming back with more right after this. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. 
AFA Accident. Announcing AFA.net slash connect. It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms. Pick and choose which updates you want to receive. Easily subscribe or unsubscribe. American Family Studio. And to quote our privacy policy, American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations. AFA Journal. Make a better connection with AFA at afa.net slash connect. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. When someone we love is hurting, suffering, or impaired, we often leap to action and fight the danger. While that's a good trade in an emergency, it's unsustainable in the marathon of caregiving, particularly in relationship dynamics. That impulse to conquer a problem not only exhausts us, it can simultaneously engage us in way too many battles on multiple fronts. As Don Diego stated to Alejandro in The Mask of Zorro, Oh yes, my friend, you would have fought very bravely and died very quickly. While bravery and action remain important, discretionary valor is equally, if not more, essential as a caregiver. That discretion of knowing when to act, speak, or be still, it comes with time and practice, but it's an important part of our journey in becoming healthy caregivers, and healthy caregivers make better caregivers. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, we're broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit here in Washington, D.C. The uh, the last of uh, the three-day summit. It'll be closing out with a uh, dinner tonight. But this afternoon, or earlier today at lunch, we hosted a, uh, a session on China and how they are targeting those who speak out for religious freedom, sanctioning uh, U.S. officials, uh, as well as targeting those in their own country who advocate for others. And uh, Grace Gao is uh, here with me. We were talking about uh, Grace's father, who is a uh, human rights attorney, speaking out for others. He has been imprisoned. Uh, she's not heard from him for four years. She has now been advocating for him and others speaking before the United Nations Human Rights Council, the Oslo Freedom Freedom Forum, uh, and speaking out here in the United States. So, so Grace, I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you saw what they did to your father, 10 right. years in prison, um, and you've not seen him. He's Four years missing. Yeah, he's disappeared. You don't right. know where he is. Mm-hmm. So why are you speaking out, knowing that the, uh, the Communist Party of China uh, is, uh, they're evil. Right. They're evil. And, and, right. and even harassing people here in, in the United States of America. So why do you speak out? Um, first, I think telling what happened in China to America people, it's really important because I believe there's no other country like America can um, challenge China in a way that to end this uh, to end this crime. So, and every time when I close my eye, I 
I feel like tens of thousands of families just like mine, they're experiencing the same thing. Their babies don't have milk. Their kid cannot go to school. Their life is basically screwed. I, I don't, it hurts me. It, I, I, it hurts my dad. I believe it hurts me. And I think um, it's important for people to know. So final question for you, mm -hmm. uh, Grace. Um, what should, and, and, and I'm speaking primarily to, to Christians in, mm -hmm. in America, what should, what should Christians here in America do? And does it matter what mm -hmm. they do to people like in China? Does it, if, if what we do here, does it have an effect upon their lives in China? I would say yes, and hugely. Uh, I remember I had a talk with my dad and he, he had um, worried that nobody believed, uh, well, nobody, like people forget about him and um, is, is people are still praying for him. And he said he has met a lot of sisters and brothers in the jail, in the black jail. They've been tortured badly. And then their family um, hasn't been visiting them quite often. And they, it's, it's, it's like a source of strength to keep them going, to know that they're not forgotten and people outside are praying for them. They actually cared. And, um, you know, each prayer counts, um, each action counts, each speak up, um, everything counts. Well, Grace, let me say you're a courageous young lady and uh, so grateful for you being here and being a part of this International Religious Freedom Summit and for uh, advocating not only for your father, but for, for others. Thank you. Good to see you. Grace Gal, and I would uh, encourage you to be praying for those who are being persecuted for their faith. Nothing more than being followers of Jesus Christ. We've heard tremendous stories here at the summit on individuals who, just because they follow Jesus, have been targeted. And I know religious persecution is not to Christians alone, although about 80% of the persecution is targeted on Christians. Joining me now to talk more about this, someone who knows about this firsthand, has become a dear friend and a part of the FRC team, and that is a familiar voice to many of our Washington Watch listeners, Dr. Andrew Brunson, who for nearly, well, a little over two decades was in Turkey, Izmir, Turkey, uh, as a, a pastor ministering to the Turkish people until he was charged with a, a crime falsely and put in prison for two years and then miraculously, in my view, released. Dr. Brunson, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. So um, you heard Grace talking about something and it reminded me of you about how she said her father felt like he was being forgotten and how important it is for us to pray for those who are imprisoned and what that means to those that are imprisoned. It made a huge difference for me, and it's what I would ask Noreen every time she visited me, I'd say, are people praying for me? So I was, I was very isolated in prison. There were uh, no other Christians with me. And uh, just the, the need for other believers to be connected to them in some way. I couldn't connect with them physically. I couldn't, they couldn't visit me in prison. But just knowing that there were other believers who were praying for me, uh, it, I still felt very alone. But sure. at the same time, I knew intellectually that I was not alone, that there were people lifting me up. And I drew a lot of encouragement from that. 
I remember I had gotten word of that and uh, put out something to our listeners here on radio, and I, I forget how many thousands signed uh, a, a little reminder of, that they were praying for you, and I, I think I sent that over by one of the commissioners uh, who first visited you in, uh, in prison, so I knew how important that was to you. Let me... Um, let me go to something you said today when you spoke earlier at one of the morning sessions. You talked about, and I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing because you did a really, really good job in, in speaking, but you spoke to the fact that if we're to promote religious freedom abroad, we have to protect it here at home. Yeah, this is because I, the U.S. has been the main promoter of religious freedom, and there are so many people around the world who look to the U.S. Uh, as a, a beacon of freedom, a beacon of hope, and uh, because we have defended religious freedom. But the truth is that I think that here in the States, uh, we still have religious freedom, but it is coming under increasing pressure. And as I look, what I think is going to happen over the next few years is that it's going to come under pretty severe pressure. And then if we, if we don't have freedom of religion here in the same way we've had before is going to be many places around the world are going to suffer. Right. I mean, America really is a trendsetter. America has influence around the globe, especially on this issue. And we've seen that in the last, really in the last four years under the last administration, as they made it a top foreign policy priority, we saw uh, other countries taking note of that. Uh, when I, two years ago, when they had the ministerial, I'm thinking of over 100 countries uh, either had their foreign ministers here or ambassadors. So the U.S. was really pulling people along. Maybe they, right. they wouldn't have done it on their own, but they were setting the pace for it. And we don't see that now. So, uh, Andrew Brunson, let me ask you um, this question as we, we're wrapping up the summit uh, final day here. And you, you've been here. You've been a participant. You've watched. You've spoken. Uh, any takeaways from uh, this first uh, civil society-driven uh, summit on international religious freedom? Well, there is something that stood out to me, that uh, many people come here and uh, because there are oppressed people all over the world. So they're here to represent and to try to get help. Uh, what I really noticed is that it's Christians who not only care about Christians who are being persecuted, but they're the ones who are speaking out for Muslims, uh, they, especially now we've heard so much about the Uyghurs, we hear about the Rohingya. It's really Christians who are driving this. And it really stood out to me because we don't see a lot of Muslims uh, advocating for more freedom for Christians or for persecuted Christians. So You, you spoke to that. What, why is that? You spoke to that this morning. Why, why is it that as we see that coming from Christians? So I, I think it's because of the way of Jesus. So Jesus, the golden rule, we call it, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I see it not, I see it as a, the, the way of love that he gave, that we are supposed to love other peoples. We're supposed to love our neighbor. And of course, he expanded the definition of neighbor to go to people who are quite far from us. And so I really see the transformative power of the gospel and of people who follow Jesus loving loving others, and we don't see it in other religions. But that has the power to transform lives. It when does, people yeah. see 
that you are willing to advocate and expend not only energy, but it sometimes take on risk for them to have that freedom to believe as they choose. I mean, that says volumes. Uh, we heard of uh, one person was talking about a persecuted group. It's not, it's Muslims. And said, you know, the, the people who came and tried to help us were the Christians. There wasn't anyone else asking to, to help them, asking how, what they could do. It was the Christians who did this. So it's a real uh, demonstration in very practical terms of love. We got a few minutes left, and uh, Dr. Brunson, I, I want to talk about the church in America, what we need to be doing as it pertains to religious freedom, both here and abroad. You talked about it, you touched on it just a moment ago, that in order to be able to advocate outside, we've got to be able to, we've got to protect it here, preserve it here, and it's increasingly under attack. How should Christians be responding? What should we be doing? So that's a, a very interesting question to me, Tony, because I spent a lot of time thinking about where we're going and how we can stand firm when we're under pressure. I haven't thought as much about how do we keep that pressure from coming and how do we maintain religious freedom? That's something that you've thought about a lot more than I have. And my, I'm more focused on, I see such a, genera a change in this generation, even in the last four or five years, that I, I think it's gonna be difficult to pull back. Uh, and I don't know how we can maintain the level of religious freedom we have now. We need to fight for it. We need to delay it as much as we can, but I think there is pressure that's coming and it's almost inescapable. I, I see, I, I hope that your instruction is not needed that, you know, in terms of how to deal with persecution and, and we, can, we can hold that off, although I think you're absolutely right in all sincerity. But I think part of it, I think the first line of defense against persecution is being willing to face opposition. If we're willing in this country, you know, we're, we get, we back up and we get, we go silent because someone puts a negative uh, social media post out against us. I mean, we're not talking about being tortured. We're just talking about someone making fun of us or mocking us. And all of a sudden we go silent. If we do that, yes, persecution is coming. We need courage. People who will, I'm looking for a real allegiance to Jesus and much more fear of God than fear of man. And, and I do see that the many people are, are quiet. They're, they're very, they're not willing to really stand for the truth of the gospel, for the truth of scripture. How do you develop that courage? One way is you, you have to do it and uh, begin to step out. And for me, it was building up fear of God and right perspective over a period of time, but you need to just begin to do it. Uh, we still have, there's less pressure now. And so I say, learn how to do these things now. Be faithful in the small things now, because if you're, Jesus said, if you're not faithful in the small things, you probably won't be faithful in the big things. And so we don't have that much pressure now. This is the time to stand for truth, stand for who Jesus is, to show your allegiance to him without being ashamed, because in the future, what we do now will prepare us to stand uh, when the pressure increases. Right, I think, I think what we do now in, in, our quiet, in the quietness and the uh, cover of our own hearts will be exposed in the days ahead. I mean, 
character is really revealed when the pressure is on. It's not made. Character is not made when the pressure comes. It's revealed. And I think the depth of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ now will be exposed in those times of persecution. Yes. And, and so, as you have said before, I mean, we need to be praying. We need to be in God's word. We need to be developing that intimacy with God now. Now, I think that serves as both a antidote as well as a, a preventative to persecution. I think if, if the church really became intimate with God, spending time in prayer in his word, there would be a boldness that would come about as a result of that in which we would stand in the face of opposition, preserving the very freedoms that he's given us. And it will be many more people who are not very strong. It will give them courage when they see it in us. So it's not just for ourselves that we need to do this, but for our families, for our loved ones, so that we create more of that uh, space for them, an example for them, and pull them into that. Right. We lead the way. We, we, we will be on display for other people. Courage breeds courage. Yes. And it's a part of community. And you've talked about that in terms of we don't need a big, big community. We just need a band of committed believers that are willing to stand together and do life together. And in that, we find the courage and the strength to stand. Yes. Isn't that what you said? Yes. <laughs> I thought that's what you said. Dr. Andrew Brunson, always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Thank you, Tony. All right. Folks, I want to encourage you to, uh, to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. You know, if you're not a part of our two-year journey through the Bible, I encourage you to, to find out more about that. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Be in the Word of God. Pray. Fathers, begin to instill that in your family. I mean, look, Grace, who was here earlier, I know that her father poured into her life. She wouldn't be standing today as she is. Faith, walking with the Lord. All right, we're out of time. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. There's some action items there for you as it, provide, as it pertains to the Hyde Amendment, which is going to be voted on the abortion bill funding rather in the house coming up uh, next week or maybe the week after so go to tonyperkins.com until next time i leave you with the encouraging words the apostle paul found in ephesians 6 where he says when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed when you've prepared and when you have taken your stand by all means keep standing Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.